Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law, Jesus asked him. How do you read it? And he answered him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, you've answered correctly, said Jesus. Just do those and you'll live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, they beat him up, and they fled, leaving him half dead. A a priest happened to be going down the road when he saw him. He passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side, but a Samaritan. Uh, on his journey, came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine, and then he put him on his animal, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. The, the next day, he took out two denarii, giving them to the innkeeper, and he said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra that you may spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who had fell into the hands of robbers? The one who showed mercy to him. And Jesus said to him, Go. And do the same. Jesus, I pray that today, as we look into your word, we will see that it has something for us in regard to the way that we treat our neighbor. Lord, I pray that we will understand kindness and compassion are not traits that just exist out there, but they are to be part of who we are. Lord, I pray that we will see the uniqueness of Christian kindness, the importance of what it means for us to display compassion to those who may need compassion to be displayed. Lord, I pray over our body today, those who are on vacations and those who are here. I pray that you will be with our people as they travel and remind them of your goodness and your grace. And I pray that we will live out our relationship with you wherever we happen to be. We ask all this in the powerful name of Jesus, and everybody in the room gets to say, Amen. There is a mild controversy on the internet right now, and it is around a decision that has been made that will greatly in- impact the, your watching and viewing of things on Netflix. And that decision was made by NBC Universal. They have decided to have the audacity to create their own streaming service. In so doing, they're removing certain shows from Netflix, the people who keep upping their price and costing us extra and extra money every month. And this decision means that they will remove shows, primarily The Office and Parks and Recreation, from Netflix streaming, forcing you and me to have to go to... uh, go to NBC Universal and download their streaming app. Uh, it's uh, pretty soon. It's in 2021. So we are thinking through how to do that. Now, with that, whenever we consider streaming, I, I don't ever, for me, I forget how good we have it. You can remember what it was like 
as far back as 2005 to watch something on your television that you wanted to watch on demand. Who remembers having to go and rent things? Pick up DVD boxes. And you would watch the DVD and you could choose how you wanted to watch your show. If you look at the idea of renting things, it actually was happening before DVDs were ever invented. Uh, Who can remember when Blockbuster Video was here in Lake Jackson or wherever you happened to live at the time because they were everywhere. Now they are only in one place and they have one of the best Twitter accounts on earth. But the last Blockbuster, check it out. Uh, that is uh, okay. So you you have the video, and I can remember going to get movies from Blockbuster Video and picking them up and getting them to put back into their case so that I could re- re- send them back. And they would pop up. They had a sticker on every video that looked just like this, if I'm not mistaken. Be kind, rewind. Children, I need you to know how difficult it was to live in the late 90s and early 2000s when you had to go the extra mile, take the extra step, and literally rewind your video. Do you know how much stuff you can do in the time it takes to rewind a video? Life was different, but what they were letting us know, what they were reminding us, just in this simple phrase, is that kindness is shown through an action. We are kind in how we act. Kindness is something that you display. Kindness is not something that's just something that we know of. It's something that we show that we know. So let me give you some definitions. You can take that video down. Let me give you some definitions uh, of kindness from, from various places. One of those, for the Christian, kindness is an inner disposition created by the Holy Spirit that makes us sensitive to the needs of others. Based on that definition, are you kind? Genuine, sincere interest in the well-being of those who are around us. Am I kind? A tender consideration of others. Jesus meets with these men, these teachers of the law, these Pharisees, and the scripture tells us that they have a question for him, and that question is based on information. And information is incredibly helpful in so much as that it lets us know some boundaries for how to think what we think. And the information that they want to know from Jesus is, what should I do to inherit eternal life? They come to Jesus with this question, and you have a group of men who have shown up to interact with him who have an understanding as to what this answer is. And their understanding as to the answer is more important to them than what Jesus will happen to say. They're just making an attempt to catch Jesus in the act of saying something that they view as inappropriate. Therefore, they can say the entirety of Israel views it as inappropriate. So let's catch Jesus. Everyone loves to catch and trap Jesus. To look at what Jesus says and see, is there anything in this that... I'm going to disagree with. That's the problem for most of us. Whenever we begin to read the words of Jesus, they're hard. Jesus says difficult things. And and we're very much like these men because we would rather be able to, to have an answer than just deal with dealing with people. 
Look at what the reply of Jesus is. Well, what's written in the law? How, how do you read it? When you read through the scripture, you've got the Old Testament, you've got the Torah. When you read through that, what are you supposed to do with what's there? Just how do you see it? Again, they have an answer. He actually has a rote answer. He has an understanding as to the answer. He has verbatim answer. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that is two passages. Those are two passages linked together. The Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6 that we're very familiar with. Also, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. The Jewish people and their understanding of how to interact with their world very much based on what the Torah teaches. We're to love the Lord our God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. What an incredibly good question. And what a really well-expressed answer. As I said, most of us would rather pass a quiz than pick people up. Think through the churches that we see in the New Testament, how all of them are dealing with the fact that their people know what to do, but they just don't seem to be doing it. It's what James deals with in Jerusalem when he writes the letter. It is what Paul deals with with every single church almost. It is John, what he dealt with in Ephesus. It's what we can deal with if we're not careful every Sunday here at Grace. Our people having information that is not being put into place through transformation. Our transformation not being lived out. We like to have boxes. We like to be able to know why the answer is the answer and how the answer happens to be that answer. But when we are asked to be an embodiment of the answer is when Christianity becomes difficult. He had an answer in mind when he asked Jesus the next question. Because this whole thing starts with eternal life. This whole thing, what does it look like for me to get into eternity? His answer was, this is the question you ask when you find... This is Jesus dealing with the idea that this man has an understanding as to what he wants to be said. Then this man comes to Jesus and his next question for Jesus is this, well, who's my neighbor? He knows what his answer for that is as well. Again, trying to put Jesus in a place where he says something outside the bounds of what the Pharisees are teaching. Not even what the Torah teaches. We want to catch you and we know you've been saying things that don't line up with this. This is the question you ask when you find muddy footprints of a four-year-old child in your home. And you ask the question, whose footprints are these? You know who that child is. He turned four yesterday. He's probably walking around back there in mud right now. We love to be able to have these boxes for this man, this Jewish teacher of the law, his understanding as to the boxes that you would check off to be the neighbor were pretty simple based upon the Pharisees' teaching. God is the God of the Jewish people. Our neighbors are simply our Jewish neighbors. And the law is a Jewish law. The goal of the Pharisee is to make Jesus look like a heretic so Jesus answers his question by not answering it. He does that a lot if you read through the Bible. Jesus answering questions without answering them. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers 
who stripped him and they beat him and they departed, leaving him half dead. First thing that we see is that Jesus replied. The, the Greek word for reply there means Jesus took him up on his challenge. The man had prodded Jesus to this reply. And he begins to talk about a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. We're leaving worship. We're going to another place. It's an actual road. It's about 17 miles long. It drops about 3,000 feet along, among the, along the 17 mile stretch. So when it says he's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, that is literal. It really goes down. There were, were caves and there were rocky places. And thieves would happen to hide in those caves and those rocky places. This man has been met by robbers. And the Bible says that he was half dead and whole naked. He is laying there in the road and he needs someone to do something for him. The problem is, if you're walking along the road, the primary ways that you would identify this person to know if they happen to be a Jewish neighbor were removed. The person is not wearing anything that would make them identify as a Jew. Furthermore, this person cannot interact with you so that you could hear their Jewish dialect. So you've got this man laying on a road unable to move, unable to answer questions. Really, you can't, you can't even identify him in any way. And you get a couple of guys that we're familiar with who begin to walk down the road. And we're not sure why they don't interact with the men. We just know that they don't. And, and we have deemed them as bad because they don't interact. Yet we don't put the same parameters on ourselves when we don't interact. Right? I love to read this passage, this hypothetical story of Jesus, this hard teaching of Jesus, and see him say, these two men, we infer for sure that what they do is wrong because they do not interact with someone who is a problem for them. But I don't put the same pressure or weight on my own life when I have a situation that needs to be dealt with, but I don't have the time, I don't have the energy, I don't have the margin in my schedule to do so. When we see who these men are, we should see ourselves. Not just in the hypothetical Jesus told a story sense, in the real life sense of do I interact. They had just been to worship. If, if they're leaving Jerusalem, they have been to worship. So they have been to do what? Worship whom? This is the participatory part of our program. We interact some. Who have they gone to worship as a priest and a Levite? Yahweh. So they have fulfilled the part of the great commandment that says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But they refuse to love their immobilized, half-dead neighbor. What are their problems with this? Well, if any of them stop and touch that body, they're impure. Now the priest would know, he's an expert in the law, that's what priests were. And he would know of laws like those in the book of Exodus that commands you to help your enemy's donkey if it's lost or overburdened. So, surely we would go beyond that to help a human being, right? A donkey stuck, we should help the donkey. That's what the Torah teaches. A human stuck, 
It's a problem for me. The Levite was also from the tribe responsible for spiritual leadership of the nation. He would know the law and what was required of him. Love your neighbor as yourself is hard. It's a hard thing to understand. It's a hard thing to grasp. It's a hard thing to be able to process. But Leviticus, that whole passage in chapter 19, it doesn't just say love your neighbor as yourself. As you continue to read Leviticus, we see God's direction for us and then he tells us how to do so. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22, if you're taking notes. When you reap the harvest of your land, Jesus, or the, the Old Testament Torah says this to Jewish people. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. You shall leave them for the poor and the one who is not of our people. Because I am the Lord your God. So this is the command of God for these people to love their neighbor as their self. And we already see in the Old Testament that the idea of the neighbor is much broader than what the Pharisees have understood the neighbor to be. Right? We're going to leave some of the fruit and some of the things that we have harvested, we're going to leave it on the edge for the poor. We're going to make sure that we care for them. We're going to make sure that we look and out for their needs. And then we got this guy. But a Samaritan. As he journeyed, he came to where he was. And he saw him. And he had compassion. Who's heard this story before? I'm shooting my shot this morning. I'm going to make sure we're all on board. Jesus could have told this story with another Jewish man. Right? We could have had the priest, we could have the Levite, and then we could have had the average Joseph cruising along the road. And the two religious leaders don't help, but the one man who's just the commoner, the one who's like all of us, he stops to help. But he doesn't tell the story that way. Why? As much as we like that, to think that Jesus exists to make us comfortable, I don't read a whole lot of the stories that he tells and feel very comfortable. And, and I don't know how, at what point Christianity became something else. Jesus wants to make you care for your neighbor. Jesus wants to push you. Jesus, push, 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 push. But now it's Jesus, sit, 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 sit. That's not Christianity. That's not what the Bible teaches us. Well, all right, help me out with Samaritans because I, I don't know all these things, so maybe... There was a hatred and a mistrust between the Jews and the Samaritans that, last, that lasted a thousand years. And so if you've got a, a high school grudge, you need to let go. In about 950 B.C., there was a civil war in Israel. The northern kingdom had been unfaithful to God. God had allowed the Assyrians to cruise in. The Assyrians had overthrown them. They carried off the Jewish people into exile. They forcibly intermarried with them, and they sent back their offspring to repopulate Jerusalem and Israel. That's bad. Southern Jewish people thought of the Samaritans who'd come to repopulate as inferior they were half-breeds. In the words of Harry Potter, they're half-bloods. 
We don't accept them. We don't love them. Jews, so you read this, Jewish people who don't even wear mixed clothing are not going to accept a group of people who are half Gentile. Even today, it's weird for a Jewish person to travel from Galilee to Jerusalem on a direct route because it's the one we're talking about here which takes you through Samaria. You just don't do it. But Samaritans were kind of terrible too. They came up with their own temple and they said that it was the real temple. We've heard that story in, when Jesus tells it in the Gospel of John. They also did some things that were just completely hateful. They would attack pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem who were loaded up with gifts for the temple. Then they had other actions that were borderline ridiculous. One of these that made me laugh far more than it should was this, that they would launch pigs into the temple at Passover. Like they were playing Angry Birds just reverse. Let's throw the pigs in. And they were throwing these pigs in because it defiled Jewish worship. But you've got this man coming in to meet and he sees a man who's hurting and he leans over to help him. Why? What does it mean that he would have compassion on him? Is compassion what for him what compassion for many of us as Christians in 2019 is? That's terrible that that's happening. Rosaria Butterfield says compassion means entering the suffering of another in order to lead the way out and we see this man act in two ways kindness it compassionately acts and it completely invests he went to him and bound up his wounds pouring on oil and wine and then he sat him on his own animal and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him and the next day he took out two denarius two days wages or more so and he gave them to the innkeeper saying you take care of him and whatever more you spend I will repay you when I come back which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers. And he said to him, the one who showed him mercy. Imagine what it would look like if we just completely displayed God's kindness on the world. What if we acted compassionately? What if we invested consistently? You see that in the man. You actually see the different things that he does in his interaction with this guy. And how what he does models for us really how we're supposed to interact when we see people who are hurting and in terrible situations. We see that he sees him. He went to him. He bound up his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. He not only saw him, he stops. He, so seeing a situation for this man is the other two gentlemen. What separates him is he does not only see him, he stops to help him. Now, I know for lots of us, whenever we really begin to think about helping those who are hurting or those who are in difficult situations, we begin to think to ourselves, well, if I give that person money, if I give that person money, they're just going to do something they should not do with it. That's my first thought whenever I deal with a person who asks me for money. 
Uh, I'm driving the other day. I, I pass a lady. She's on the side of the road, and, and she has a sign. And I just, I just left here, and I thought, oh, man, I just was at church. I've got to do this. So I roll down the window, and, and I hand her some money, and she says, I, w- I would like to. I want to earn my money, okay? I said, cool. I didn't know what was about to happen. She said, I'm going to tell you a joke. I said, I like a good joke. And here was her joke, and it's fantastic, and you should write this down because it's the best dad joke I've heard in a while. She said, why was the waterbed so bouncy? I said, I don't know, ma'am. She said, it was full of spring water. That was amazing. So she, <laughs> she lets me know this. Now, I thought, my thought, just full honesty, when I saw her, my immediate thought was, this lady is going to do something wrong with this money. This woman is going to misuse what I give her. These things are running through my mind. But I didn't have a fig bar to give her. All that I knew was she's telling me that she's in need. So I wrestled in my soul in that moment with, does the possibility of her doing something wrong outweigh the inevitability if I ignore her? Now, I'm not saying that we need to give money to every human being that we pass. I'm not saying that we should never think to ourselves, how is the best way for me to help this person? But it is helpful for us, as those who would claim Jesus as our Messiah, to look at scenarios and say, how should I interact with someone in a way that best reveals and shows Jesus? He sees, this this man does, he stops, he shares... He shares with him. I've got this, and I'm going to make sure that I give this to help you. This man still not had a conversation with him. This man is beaten and half dead. He speaks on his behalf. Right? I've got an innkeeper, and the innkeeper doesn't know me, and I've got to go, but I'm going to come back. I'm going to help. I'm going to care. I'm going to love even though the Samaritan would hate this Jewish man as much as the Jewish man would hate the Samaritan. What happens when our faith begins to get past our beliefs as to what we should do? He sacrifices for him. Not in the religious sense of sacrifice... Not us throwing up thoughts and prayers and T's and P's. All of that. That's beneficial. Incredibly beneficial. We're taught to do so. But from what he has, he cares for this man. I read through this passage. I read... Every commentator I can come across. I read some guys who were reformed. I read some guys who were lowercase reformed. I read some guys who were Anabaptist. I read some everything. And one thing that I kept coming to was there is a Christocentric understanding of this passage. That's a big Bible word. So not even in the Bible, but it's a word that preachers use. It means that we center the text around Jesus. So Jesus tells this story, and he's telling this story in a world where he is pretty much hated by the men that he's interacting with. 
And he is definitely pointing them to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the biblical stance. That's the Torah stance. But Jesus doesn't just say to take the Torah stance. Jesus, in effect, is the Torah stance. You and I can't love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength apart from what God has done for us in Jesus. That's there. But what I kept noticing as I read through these various interactions with this text was the idea that if we take this stance of what the Bible teaches about Jesus, that it allows us to be hands-off with the implications for the believer in regard to this passage. Jesus is, in a sense, the Good Samaritan. Because while I was broken and I was hurting and while I was half, not even half dead, I was whole dead on the side of the road, beaten and robbed, Jesus met me and he had compassion for me. He saw me, he stopped, he shared of himself, he spoke on my behalf and he, sacri- he is my great sacrifice. Those are scriptural truths. The Bible does teach us that. However, those scriptural truths do not negate that Jesus, those who have met with Jesus... There is an implication that we would live like Jesus. That because we have seen and known the God of the Bible, that we would care for people in the way the God of the Bible does. That this would not just be something that um, lends itself to our everyday. This is actually something that's part, uh, that lends itself to our understanding of God, but it actually lends itself to the way that we live as representations of God. We are ministers of reconciliation. That is not a sit back and watch as the world decays. That's us investing in those who are decaying and saying, that which is valuable to God is valuable to me. That whom God cares for, I care for. That we would look at human beings who were created in the image of God and we would care for them in the way that God does. We would love the way that God happens to love. We would care the way that God cares. Having an understanding of this, of this passage and of the entirety of this book and saying it's all about Jesus, that does not just, that's not just an interpretation. That is something that we put into practice. Do I live as Jesus lived for those who I don't really like? How would you like for the neighbor to act if that were you? If that's you that's half dead in the road, what do you want the neighbor to do? If that's you eating alone in your cubicle at work, what would you have the neighbor to do? If that's you, and you're the human being that the news keeps talking about, and that you're detained, how would you have the neighbor to do? What would you have the neighbor to do? If that is you that is starving and hopeless on the other side of the world, what would you have the neighbor to do? How would you like for the neighbor to act in real, practical ways? Because the discomfort that Jesus causes in our soul when we read a passage like this is not simply to cause us to be uncomfortable. It's to cause us to get up and to do and to care. 
because we have met with our good Samaritan. And through the power of his spirit, we, have, we are able to live a realized response to what the scriptures teach. If we follow the teachings of the Bible and the model of Jesus, we cannot define neighbor in a way that allows people to be left half dead on the side of the road. Because kindness is not just something that we know we should do. Kindness is what we happen to do with what we know. This doesn't mean that everything in our lives is us ignoring our history and what we've been taught, but it means that we take heed to what Jesus says to us as his people more than anything else. How would I want someone to act if that were me on the side of the road? It's a question that we should ask in regard to how we understand and live out kindness. Because the Bible is pretty plain spoken about it. It's not just Jesus here in Ephesians 4.32. Paul says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God has forgiven you. We care, we care. We're called to care. We're called to love. We're called to sacrifice. We're called to speak. We're called to say. We're called to... We're called to do these things. It doesn't mean we have it all figured out, but we realize who does and we trust him to guide us and direct us and to live in our world as people who don't just read this as a story of a thousand-year grudge between Samaritans and Jewish people. We read this as a story that has an implication in our hearts. How do I look at the world around me for the sake of the name of Jesus? I want to pray for you guys this morning, pray for myself and my wicked soul when it comes to my lack of kindness towards my neighbors. We'll bow our heads together. Lord Jesus, I'm wicked and I'm sinful and I would rather ignore those who need my compassion than I'm willing to admit all the time. But God, we do believe your word teaches us things about you. And Lord, I would pray that our allegiance to you and your kingdom would reign above all. That we would not be the Pharisees that we see in this passage. That I would not be the Pharisee that I see wanting to be able to check off clean boxes and have a nice interpretation of this that doesn't affect my everyday life. Lord, as we are called to the ends of the earth, we're called to our neighbor on the street. Lord, I thank you that in this body I, I see loving kindness displayed by our people as they interact with, with one another and with their neighbors even now. I pray you'll continue to grow those chances because in growing those chances, you're growing opportunities and in growing our opportunities, you grow us. I do pray for our neighbors.
I pray that they will see that we are the half-dead man on the side of the road who has met with the Good Samaritan who is above all. And that Good Samaritan who is above all has said, follow me and be a Samaritan like me. I pray that the stereotypes that we see in this passage about Samaritans and Jewish people could not be said of us and will not be said of us. Well, that we won't allow, allow just the reigning prejudice toward anyone cause us to, to miss seeing our world in the way that you do. Lord, I pray that I would seek to justify myself less than to show that you offer justification more. So let us see and let us know and let us acknowledge and let us create space in our hearts and lives so that we can interact in the way that you've called us to. We ask this in your name, Jesus, that beautiful name we sang up earlier. I'm in the back corner.